0: already out. 2 Samuel chapter 12, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Samuel chapter 12, and 2 Timothy chapter 1, and if you have it, 2 Maccabees chapter 12 as well. I joke, but I am going to be there later. (laughs) There should be about 12 red flags that just went up. <laughs> Amen. Amen. You guys, remember when David slept with Bathsheba and they had a baby and that baby died? That's what this scripture is right here. <clears throat> 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 18. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died and the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken to our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and uh, anointed himself, and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Boy, there's a lot to be said. There's, I mean, we that's not the message. But man, we go through heartaches. What's our response? Let's go cry to Facebook. Let's go cry to everybody on the phone how hard our life is. He had some good reasons to, to, to just quit on everything according to our logic, but he went and he worshiped. Man, David, he sure messed up, but man, he sure did right. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive, but but when the child was dead, thou didst, didst rise and eat bread. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I should go to him, but he shall not return to me. Brother Tony, would you pray for the message, sir? Amen. Amen. Nowhere in scripture... Did David ever pray for the baby that died? Never prayed for the baby that died. Um, in fact, quite the contrary. David made it clear. He, he, quit, he quit mourning, and to the best of his ability, I'm sure he was sad. But he, he made it clear to that there's nothing we can do after the child dies. The deceased child is now in God's hands. The whole idea of praying for the dead is entirely Catholic. It's a Catholic ch- teaching, and the whole reason for it is that they will get out of purgatory, which is entirely a Catholic teaching. Entirely. I mean, not a little bit. I mean, entirely. <coughs> the problem is that nowhere in Scripture did Jesus ever teach purgatory or praying for the dead disciples never taught it or preached it or hinted at it Um, Paul in all of his writings in all of his books never talked about it neither purgatory or praying for the dead is found anywhere in scripture a lot like many of what the Catholic Church teaches and I say that with respect but not holding anything back um, there's only one place in the New Testament that is twisted um, into kind of sort of sounding like it, but not really close when you look at it. Let's turn there first. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. We're probably there already. I do love it when I say, you know, when I say, hey, we're going to turn here, and, like, there's, like, no pages turning because you're already there. That is awesome. That is awesome. 2 Timothy one sixteen. The Lord, by the way, this is Paul writing a letter to Timothy. So the conversation is Paul talking to Timothy. He said, the Lord give mercy into the house of Ones, uh, Onesiphorus. Oh, man, I've had it. I don't want to say Onesiphorus. Somebody help me. It's, it's, it's shorter than that. Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus? Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus. Man, I hope I get it. Believe it or not, I practice in the office, but then I forget it. Amen. <clears throat> um, he said, the Lord uh, give mercy into the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. At this point, Onesiphorus has already passed. And he's telling Timothy, he said, man, God bless the house of Onesiphorus, man. Uh, man, he, he, he sure, he wasn't ashamed of my chain. He wasn't ashamed of me being in prison. Then he said, but when he was in Rome, he sought out me very diligently and found me. The Lord granted to him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And, and how many things he ministered to me at Ephesus that I know very well. Can, can I just ask a question addressing, as we're talking about praying for the dead, what is prayer? Prayer is when we talk to God. So if we're going to get a doctrine of prayer, it's going to be when maybe Paul's talking about talking to God or when Paul is talking to God, not when Paul is telling Timothy, hey, man, bless Ones- Onesiphorus' family. Bless him. May God bless him on Judgment Day. He was such a blessing to me. He's not praying for he just He's praying for uh, God bless his family. God bless Onesiphorus. Man, amen. Not praying for him, saying God bless him. A whole lot different than prayer amen uh as if as if as if in the prayer say, man god bless him god bless him as if as if they're teaching right in the middle of it he stopped and he says we should pray for nisiphos that his sins might be forgiven him i mean that's that they're not saying that directly but that's the idea that's being taught if they ever bring up this verse now now i'll say this in fairness most of the time they don't bring up this verse this is the seldom verse that Catholicism will bring up. Why? Because it's really, really weak. And if they were honest, it's just not talking about praying for the dead. So who teaches that we can pray for the dead? Catholicism, uh, Lutherans, Hinduism, Islam, Taoism. There's a couple more that I didn't recognize. It must have been some third world country stuff. But then your Catholic friend, he he turns in his Bible to the second to the book of 2 Maccabees and he shows you where they prayed for the dead. Well, what do you do about that? Because he's got a Catholic Bible that has books that yours don't. Hmm. Raises some questions that we have to address. Before we answer that question, I want to look at this verse. This is 2 Maccabees, chapter 12, verse 43. <coughs> this is not Scripture. This is 2 Maccabees from the Apocrypha. But this is, this is where the main verse where Catholicism will take praying for the dead. 2 Maccabees 12, 43. And just for the context of Scripture, I read two, three chapters leading up to this. It was... Uh, uh, it's, it, it, this portion of Scripture... Ugh, Mm, 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 mm. This portion of the Apocrypha in 2 Maccabees is uh, kind of a dry read, like sometimes like Leviticus is a dry read. Uh, By the way, most of the Apocrypha is um, um, facts about uh, militant things and things that were happening. It's just dry history, most of it. So this is describing a battle that's taking place and other things leading up to it. They did this, and then they went here, and then they went around here, and they did this. It comes up to this point. I, I backed up three verses before we get to the voice to the verse at hand. Second um, Maccabees twelve forty three says, and when he had made a gathering throughout the company to the sum of two thousand drachms of silver, he sent it to Jerusalem to uh, offer a sin offering, doing therein very well and honest <clears throat> honestly, in that he was mindful of the resurrection. There's a lot of questions there, but let's keep going. That's not the topic. For if he had not. <clears throat> for if he had. Uh, not hoped that they were slain, should have risen again. It would have been superfluous and vain to pray for the dead. In verse five forty-five, here is where I want to get to. And also in that he perceived that they were, that there was great favor laid up for those that died godly. It was in holy and good thought. Whereupon he made a reconciliation for the dead, that they might be delivered from sin. What is the book of Maccabees and where did it come from? We're going to answer that, but I want to get to a broader question. What is the Apocrypha and where did it come from? We can address praying for the dead uh, um, with scripture, but now now the the question is, well, what's scripture? Is the Apocrypha scripture? Because Catholicism teaches that it is so now let's address the issue of the apocrypha <coughs> The apocrypha is a collection of books that catholicism and catholicism alone believes that they are inspired even though that no one else does uh, there's 15 books in, in total in the apocrypha i'm going to throw them out there just so you guys can hear them i, I, I didn't hear all of these um fir- first and second Esdras, the tobit the judith the rest of esther wisdom ecclesiasticus Baruch, uh, and the epistle of Jeremy, uh, song of the three children, story of Susanna, the idol, bell, and the dragon, prayer of Manasseh, and 1st and 2nd Maccabees. Those are all the books that are in the Apocrypha. But just to be clear, Catholicism doesn't even claim all the books of the Apocrypha. They got rid of like six or seven of them. Why? Why? Because they were so ridiculously uh, fraudulent and, and, and uh, uh untruthful. And, 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 and nobody even close to thought that they were factual. So Catholicism kept seven. They kept the Tobit, Judith, Baruch, Ecclesiasticus, Wisdom, First and Second Maccabees, and some additions to Esther and Daniel. So... Take a step back. I keep taking step backs in this. But we're going somewhere, I promise. After the Old Testament, and before you come to the New Testament, there's what they call 400 silent years. There was no prophets. There was no um, word from the Lord between these 400 years. They're called the 400 silent. They still are called the 400 silent years before all of a sudden uh, uh, the the, the four gospels come on the scene and all of a sudden Jesus comes on the scene. Actually, after after Malachi was written, the end of the Old Testament, actually, 400 years later, it would be John the Baptist really coming on the scene, prepare you the way of the Lord. 400 years in between that. That's when all these books were written that they now put together and called the Apocrypha. That's what the Apocrypha is. Keep this in mind. There was uh, people that loved the Lord that were looking for a prophet, that were looking for some inspirational, to some God-given book that is going to be awesome because there's other books that have been written that are God-inspired, that Jesus himself would come out on the scene and say, yeah, Moses and the prophets, the scriptures, amen, and refer to things all throughout the Old Testament. But there was a people that were looking to be awe-inspired, and there were authors that were looking to write some books that were just going to be like, man, it's going to be added to the canon. It's going to be awesome. A lot of them were just militant and telling things. Um, A lot of them were just downright fraudulent and just, I mean, even even, uh, uh, people that are all about the apocrypha would say, yeah, these ones are just... You know, everybody knows these aren't real, you know. Um, the Apocrypha literally means hidden. Literally means hidden. So the Apocrypha is called, uh, uh, the, the, the hidden books of the Bible It's called the lost books. Something interesting about the Apocrypha is, is, is all of these writings were discounted by the Sanhedrin in 80 AD as not inspired were to God. Although, encouraged to read for history. Because there's a lot of things that, that uh, 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 can be fact-checked that, yeah, they were here and this, this military was here and this did happen. So there's history things there, but the Sanhedrin in 80 AD, that's not long after the resurrection. They're already saying, yeah, that's not scripture. And I'll say this too, and and, and I don't think this would be contested even by Catholicism. But in the early days after the resurrection, the Apocrypha was never considered Scripture. It was never considered Scripture, it was considered historical books worth reading. This gets interesting. My, my study just went, I got really interested in this. So we use King James 1611 Bible. We teach and preach and believe with all our hearts. Uh, uh, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This is the word of God. This is the inspired word of God. Genesis to Malachi to Matthew to Revelation is the complete canon of scripture. It inspired, it's infallible, it's perfect. Did you know that when King James 1611 first printed the Bibles for the first 51 years, the Apocrypha was put in there? It's interesting. It wasn't until uh, 1666 that the Apocrypha was taken out. I'll say this, and I want to get to the next point. <clears throat> Even in the King James Bible, when he printed that for those first 50 years, the Apocrypha was in there, but it had a disclaimer saying, This is not the Word of God, this is not inspired scripture. This is separate. But it was in the Bible. It was in it was enclosed. Okay. I found a letter last night that it did is just so interesting i like to sit and read the whole thing i got bogged down reading it it's old english so I, <clears throat> there's a letter uh that um king james wrote to his son on how to be a good king it's really more like a small book because there's actually an introduction and in chapters and it's really it's actually awesome and it's awesome how much he talks about god in it It talks about the prophets and man studying the word of god and the importance of christ and jesus <clears throat> how awesome, wonderful that is, that a king would have that language. We need some of that in our country today. But this book was called the Duran, which is Latin for the king's gift or the royal gift. <clears throat> I want to read a couple paragraphs of it before I get to the part where King James addresses how he feels about the Apocrypha. Very interesting. <clears throat> so... I just, I just read, I grabbed a couple of paragraphs that were just so encouraging to me before I get to this part. <clears throat> so bear with me. It's written in Old English, so it's not like, it's kind of hard to read. <clears throat> he said, would you <clears throat> then know your sin by the law? Read the books of Moses containing it. W- w- would you <clears throat> have a commentary thereupon? Read the prophets and likewise the books of the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, written by uh, the great patron of wisdom, Solomon, which will not only, I think, assure you for instruction how to walk in the obedience of the law of God, but but is also so full of golden sentences and moral precepts and all things that can concern your conversation in the world. As among all the, um, pro, all the profane philosophers and poets, you, shall not find, uh, you should not find so rich a storehouse of precepts, of natural wisdom agreeing with the will and divine wisdom of God. Would ye see how good men are rewarded and wicked punished? <clears throat> Look the historical parts of these same books of Moses together with the histories of Joshua and Judges, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and Job. But especially the books of the Kings and Chronicles, wherewith ye ought to be familiar, um, familiarly, familiarly acquainted, for there shall ye you see yourself in a mirror, in the catalogue either of the good or of the evil kings. Then I jump in there a couple paragraphs later, and he says, "The ground, therefore, of the Word of Grace is contained in the four histories of the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ." The larger interpretation in VSE, what is it? Use? Are you following along? Are you online? Oh, she's got my notes. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, uh, and use thereof is contained in the epistles of the apostles and the practice in the faithful or unfaithful with the history of the mm, infancy and first progress of the church is contained in their acts. I mean, he's telling this boy, man, read Moses and the prophets. It's all about Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. You want to be a good king? You read about the king. You want some wisdom? Read about Solomon. I mean, this is awesome. This is not just a father to his son. This is a king to the next king that's going to be. And then he gets to this paragraph here. He says, and as to the ap- uh, uh, apocryphy apocryph- books, if I'm saying that right. And as to the Apocrypha books, I omit them because I am no papist. As I said, therefore, and indeed some of them are no ways like the ditament of the Spirit of God. Papist literally means Roman Catholic. King James is saying, hey, I omit the Apocrypha. I am no ways a Roman Catholic. That ditament word, it's an old English term for brave and valiant or strong and mighty. He, he's saying, hey, the, the apocryphal books, they're not strong and mighty. They're, they're, they're not mighty like the Holy Spirit. I omit them. It's interesting. He's saying, what's not like the Spirit of God? Books of the apocrypha. So though King James himself put the apocrypha In the first edition of the King James Bible, he did not believe that it was the inspired word of God and said so before the section of the Apocrypha. It was not regarded as Scripture. And I dare say that no one else did either other than it was history that was written during the 400 silent years. The Apocrypha was taken out in 1666 Because Christians began to regard it as the perfect word of God. What happens when we don't study? We just kind of get a little thing here and there. I tell my boys all the time, you hear a partial truth, and all of a sudden you got a whole rumor telling about somebody because oh my goodness you'll never been, they told me this well first of all did you hear that right second of all that's not the whole story uh third of all uh, you don't know what you're talking about you know and that's how people get their doctrine you know i, I read four verses out of maccabees today because i had a catholic bible i didn't read anything else in scripture study nothing else They were pulled for that reason, among others. The fact that they rejected the Apocrypha as divine is very obvious by the seven official reasons which they gave for not incorporating into the rest. They are as follows, and you can look them up online. Number one, none of them are in the uh, uh, Hebrew language, which was alone used by the inspired historians and poets of the Old Testament. None of the writers in the Apocrypha ever claimed that they were inspired. None of them ever claimed that it was inspired. People added that to them. These books were never acknowledged as sacred scriptures by the Jewish church and therefore were never sanctioned by our Lord. They were not allowed a place among the sacred books during the first four centuries of the Christian church. They contain fabulous statements. This is number five. They contain fabulous statements and statements which contradict not only the canonical scriptures but themselves. As when in the book of Maccabees, Antiochus uh, Epiphanes is made to die three different deaths in three different places. And instills stills, number six, it instills doctrines contrary to the rest of scripture such as prayers for the dead oh and sinless perfection. There's another one that I saw but I didn't take time to study it to fruition but there's one place in the Apocrypha and I'm not sure which book I saw it in that claims that um, Christ was born a girl. And you think that's crazy. Well, that's one of the books that the Catholic Church kicked out. It's, some things are just crazy, not even worth acknowledging. But these are some of the things that you got to filter through. I mean, if God didn't inspire it, then anything could happen to it. Number seven, it teaches immoral pa- practices such as lying, suicide, assassination, and magical, magical incantation. That was an official statement put out. I didn't study that last line out, but I don't have much of a problem believing it. Amen. It's not much of a stretch, you know. And, and 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 when I start understanding these things about the apocrypha, it starts to make sense. Oh, that's why the Catholic Church wanted to keep that so bad in Reformation, because without that, even though even though it contradicts. The Old Testament New Testament and numerous places and major doctrinal errors that they, they need to hold on to that. They need to hold on to that if they want to claim the, anything. Knowing that the Christians at large didn't regard the Apocrypha as God's word clearly worried the Catholic Church because where were they going to get their support for praying for the dead? In the Apocrypha, and I... <clears throat> I just read it a little bit. I didn't study it out, but they really regarded Mary really high. I mean, really high. So as part of the Great Reformation, they had a Council of Trent, which is, I would consider, a knee-jerk reaction to people that were reading their Bibles. The Council of Trent was literally a, a, a reaction to, oh my goodness, uh, Christians are reading their Bibles and they're, and they're, and they're saying, hey, the old, this contradicts the Old Testament, that contradicts, wait a minute, that isn't right. So they had to say, Catholic Church, we need to take a vote. We've got to set some things in doctrine. We've got to set some things in order. They did a lot of horrible other things too. But that's not part of my message. What did the Council of Trent vote in? One of the major things that the Council of Trent voted in was that tradition is equal to the Bible. Now, why did they vote that in? So that they could declare the Apocrypha as the inspired word of God. But that's not all. That's not I mean they, they voted a lot of other things in that they could basically say that any, anything that the church says is gold, amen. Or the Pope, amen. <clears throat> but if they can declare something to be inspired word of God, now anything that they say can be just as holy. But that was why they declared tradition equal to the word of God. So they can include the Apocrypha and say, see, it's what we believe. It's what we do. It's the word of God. They can now begin to say that, even though it was never said before the council of Trent. Nobody ever said that. But they had to hold to that because it was it was teaching false doctrines like praying to the dead. Nowhere talks about purgatory. Nowhere. Nowhere. By the way, what did the Council of Trent officially reject? You say, Pastor, are you sure? Man, look it up. You can actually read the Council of Trent. Um, I read the entire, I read several councils uh, when I was studying Catholicism. I read the entire Council of Trent myself. Because some of these were so blatant. Oh, my goodness. How could a Christian believe this? Yet they do. Because a group of men voted at some time saying, hey, you know what? We believe this now, so therefore it happens. Shame on them. Shame on anybody that claims the name of Christ, that changes doctrine on a whim. Shame on them. Three things that the Council of Trent officially reject. Number one, you must uh, establish a confession and supremacy of the papacy to be in the faith. You say, I've never heard that. You can look it up. Number two, you must condemn the Protestant doctrine of justification by faith. And that's literally against everything that Paul and Jesus taught and the disciples. Literally everything. Um, Noah was saved by what? Faith. faith. Amen. Uh, I mean, look in the hall of uh, faith in Hebrews. Um, Abraham, faith. Uh, Rahab, amen, faith. Yeah. The thief on the cross, um, justification by faith. He had no good works in him. I mean, no good works. Amen. Number three, you must reject the Protestant view of Scripture alone think about that they need that because they can't rely on scripture alone they have to be able to say no son you're going to believe this you can't read that bible today maybe one day i'll let you read it but not today So when your catholic friend pulls out his catholic bible and uses the apocrypha you can tell him you know what just because somebody wrote some history book at some point in time does not make it the inspired word of god the Apocrypha contradicts both the Old and New Testament in many places. I will stick with what is God breathed and inspired. Amen. There's nothing wrong with studying a history book. I study history books for almost every single service. There's nothing wrong with looking at an Apocrypha and, and trying to draw out some history, maybe, in there. It is not God inspired. Don't go to public school and learn some geography and learn about our political history. Learn about any of that and say, you know what? That's got inspired. Hey, it's good. Study it. But it ain't doctrine. And we'll take these history books and we get doctrine from it. Now, what do you have? Men that do weird things in robes, coming up with weird doctrines, and it changes every 50 years. That's shameful. concerning prayer for the dead, and we'll close. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said, we're confident. I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Right. Purgatory is out the window in that verse. That. Why are you praying for the dead if they're already with the Lord? That makes no sense. Well, that's contrary. Jesus said in Luke 9, 6, he said, let the dead bury their dead, but go down and preach the kingdom of God. Don't pray for the dead. Go preach the gospel. Get folks saved that are living today. Like David said, man, while my baby's living, man, I'm going to pray for him. He's still living. I, I love him. I'm going to fast. I'm going to weep, and I'm going to pray. But after he's dead, what am I going to do about it? It's in God's hands. Amen. Hope we learned something tonight. I certainly did studying the last couple of days. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I pray that you would open up our understanding When it comes to your word.